Hello everyone, I'm Katie Burke, and welcome to The Sober Creative, where we debunk the myth of the tortured artist, we talk sobriety, creativity, and the practice there within. Hi everyone, I'm so happy to be back uh, doing a new episode for you today is about grief. Um, thank you for being uh, excusing my absence last week. I was like, you know, very hoarse and I needed to take a break from talking. Um, so I appreciate you listening this week and giving me space last week. So, um, grief and sobriety and creativity, how they have come together in my life has really been very transformative. And, uh, I wouldn't wish it away for a moment, even though it's difficult. But today I want to talk about the gift of grief and introduce some ideas that you may or may not have heard that just really serve me in the whole processing of it. So when today I was in therapy and I were nearing the end of it and, uh, my teacher was talking about something. We were talking about some impermanent thing. And then he was like, yeah, you know, Byron passing away, my friend Byron. And I said, what? And I said, wait, who's Byron? And he said, Byron, you know, from that thing. And explained it. And I just couldn't believe it. I was just like, you know, Byron, my friend Byron? My friend Byron, you know? And I'd met with Byron, and we'd related through email, and I've gone to his house, and we've worked on some music, and and he said he would read my screenplay and give me very constructive feedback. Um, that Byron? <laughs> and then I just kind of welled up and, you know, felt the grief of the loss of the Byron that I knew, and... I was reminded of the first time that I felt grief in like a open, profound way was my best friend, Peter, who died uh, a couple years ago. And it's what got me sober and it changed my life. And what I remember from that the most was laying on the ground immediately after I heard that he had died and just taking refuge in the ground, that it was this flat thing. And I wished I could just be buried under it because I didn't want to feel the presence of time and space and life and reality. And I, there was no escaping it. It was inescapable presence. Grief brought me that gift. And as an addict and... um a craver, you know, I had always been looking for a way out of what was now, this moment, you know, and grief, death gave me no way out. And I, I knew also that I was very grateful for that while it was happening. I was curious. I was so curious about it while it was happening. And I didn't want to be present to it, you know, Obviously, we've all felt moments like that where you just don't want something to be. 
And so hearing about my friend Byron today made me want to do this episode because it just feels very uh, hot or like clear. And I want to talk about it while I'm clear with it. Um, And hopefully that'll bring clarity to others, maybe going through the same thing or will or have, you know. So I was talking with my teacher kind of in the midst of this and, you know, what's going on. And I said, you know, everyone who dies in my life, I find them to be like little Jesuses, for one. (laughs) And we laughed because... It's like they give us this gift. It's not salvation or dying for our sins or anything. It's just I remember when Peter died, I just remember feeling like, God, he gave me such an incredible gift. Like I've never felt anything like this. I've never felt so connected and so utterly sad. And that's something I've avoided my entire life is to be this uncomfortably, deeply sad. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, and the hardest. So, my inner inquiry and curiosity and sobriety and kindness toward myself was all started because of the things I experienced through my friend's death. And to me, that is a type of salvation, I guess, in a way. I got sober. I started doing things that I had been just hoping someone would hand me. I got to actually review and look back and experience the past in this intense but new, very new way. And so to me, that that is a spiritual experience, surely, and a gift that his death gave me. And today, Byron gave me the gift of a contemplation on death. And and he just died sitting in a chair. And I wondered if he was meditating, and I wondered what he was thinking about. And You can say each day is a gift till you're blue in the face, but it doesn't... It's like those like Zen Buddhist conundrums, like life is a gift, you know, but until you experientially find that, you know, to me, I found it through death. Um, those, those gifts become actual fruit I can like taste when, when death arrives. And death is a very compassionate thing. And so is suffering, I think, because they, they, they penetrate us to the core and there's this huge softening that inevitably occurs, you know, no matter how, no matter how much we harden at first. Like when I first found Peter's death, I, you know, obviously as an addict, um, I mean, it's not obvious, but what I chose to do was, you know, drink for two months, hardcore and, um, then until a day I just couldn't do it anymore and I saw the senselessness of it but I felt inevitably the fruit of life um, even if I tried to drink that away from his death and today Byron's death has given me a gift of clarity 
about the closeness of grief and like death is very sweet and actually the the first thing I said out loud when I found out he died was you know after sad sadness passed I just said good for him <laughs> good for him you know life is sweet death is sweet you know when someone is born we can say good for them and when someone dies we can say good for them you know they're both parts of this picture and they're both evidence of the cyclical nature of birth and death and you know the tapestry and the I find a lot of poetry in it and maybe it's because I'm a romantic but I I find they give me so many truths these these huge events and there's such food for my soul and for my awakening and my peace so I want to talk about love um, because what occurred to me today was the image of l loving someone is like building a house and we have this like foundational quality to it that looks the way it does and the banisters and the rafters and this the cement and then you know the frameworks there and then you build in tiers and floors and colors and uh, spacious ideas and they change you can add to it and you can knock stuff down and furniture and dirt and cleanliness and they all make up what you believe about your relationship to this person and you have this whole house of you know beliefs and constructs that you dedicate to another human and it's a wondrous you know thing and it can change and I I found like in that moment finding out about my friend today that grief is as if you're moving out and you would think that with the ferocity of death how it feels like how I experience it you know it feels like this you know big hit and it's terrible or confusing but it feels like a demolition company is coming into the house but it actually once that moment is over the hit then you have this slow deconstruction of the house and that's what grief is so I I saw grief as like the movers and they come in and they take the furniture out and I get to watch and I get to say oh my god that couch man, the, the conversation we had that time and I cried and you held me or I made you laugh till you burst or, you know, all the things we love about that person with each piece of furniture coming out slowly or tearing down wallpaper. You know, maybe it starts small like that. You don't even get to the furniture for months. You're just tearing down wallpaper or tiles out of a floor that's, you know, endless each one like this piece of appreciation for that human um, or that animal or that idea even. We deconstruct it so slowly and that's what grief gives us is like a way to find out all the nuances of how we loved the shit out of someone, <laughs> like beyond doubt. And, you know, parts of us are in that house and so we have the furniture and the floors and the colors and the 
and the smells and all of that is part of that moving company. And then within the moving company, you know, these stages of grief that like Elizabeth Kubler-Ross talked about of denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance would be like when the house is kind of turned to dust. And so all of these occur in that moving out and deconstruction process of the house. Denial. You have, I remember the day that, you know, two days after Peter died, I went back to work and someone's like, hey, how you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm great. How are you? And there was just like this automatic denial. And then two seconds later, I like stopped in my tracks. And then I said, actually, my, my best friend just died. And it was like it happened kind of all over again. And hearing him say, I'm sorry, buddy, made me so angry. <laughs> you know, so I'm like, boom, I meet the house of how much I love this man. And then this guy has no idea who that is or what that is or how much this house means to me that I'm slowly deconstructing. And I don't want you to see the house. And I'm angry with you. And then, you know, bargaining just to me feels like confusion or like, you know, I don't have like what ifs about because I could never control my friend in particular, Peter, and I could never control Byron. You know, these people were kind of not people that I led or mentored or had like that kind of relationship with. We just were living. And so I don't ever think of bargaining like that where it's uh, if only I'd done this, then this, you know, and some some people certainly have that. It just hasn't been around my grief. But the bargaining occurs, I guess, with uh, like blaming, like man, I, I wish I'd been a better friend. Not that it would stop your death, but this just feels like a place where I can really get angry with myself or blame myself. It's like a mix between bargaining and blame and there's shame and all that going on. That can all happen in the house when you sit down on that couch and you think back to when they really needed you. And you couldn't show up because you were too sad or angry or needed them to be different. I find that that all comes up with bargaining. And then depression can happen in the house, certainly, where you're just like, this will never change. I can't move. And there's just this million pound weight and you're stuck in the house. And you're just ruminating in every room, in every every place you go is a, a place to to ruminate on sadness and become this immovable object stuck. And the sun goes down and it's like a darkness in the house. There's no electricity anymore. And then anytime you see that person or think of that house, think of that person and those beliefs around them, it's just darkness. And then you have the acceptance where you open the door again and you see that the house is just this big thing of constructs. And then all of this can be met as if it's a dream. It's like this nonlinear dream that's fuzzy because every time I go to the house and start appreciating this, what this person has given me, I go back and it's different and that furniture comes back. I thought I took all that furniture out. I thought I took down that wall. I, th I thought the toilet was totally gone. Why am I 
why am I seeing it again? But it's, it's just nonlinear. It doesn't make any fucking sense. You build this house. You don't even know how it gets built. Damn is, damned if I know how it gets deconstructed. I don't even know how it fucking got there. But I can be so present to how it's moving and how it's falling apart. And where I will not <laughs> let it fall apart. I guess love and the houses that we build with it get us really uh, active in the process of building the house until we're not anymore and then it's just building itself. And then grief can come along and be like, look what you've built. Look what you've built around this, this human or this idea or this, this thing. Look, look, at, look at this amazing construction isn't it beautiful? And, you know, I can also come up and meet that and grief would be the vehicle that carries me to the house and I'll go, God, look what I've built and be hateful or angry. just depends where I'm at in any given moment. When grief takes me to a house around a person that is that I love and grief starts to fuck with it and deconstruct it, it's like, I don't want to see that. Or it's like, God, give me every piece. I know when Peter died, I didn't want to see a thing between us. I didn't want to read his work. I didn't want to hear his voice. I didn't want to see text messages. I don't know if it was all covered in guilt of some sort. But I didn't want a piece of him at all. And I never wanted to see a piece of him again. For some people, they keep everything. And I remember imagining that the mind was a neighborhood. And there are just neighborhoods that I just can't go down yet while I'm in this grieving process. Some of those neighborhoods have now opened up. But it's funny, then I thought of it as a neighborhood and today I, I see the actual love itself as a house. And so I think a way that we can take these huge moments, you know, falling in love or like having love in your life and having grief and feeling grief and where they meet and combine and integrate into each other. The house is always rebuilding and the house is always falling apart. And I think through the lens of sobriety, I get to be a part of it. I get to be a part of this amazing, deeply human natural process because otherwise I'm just stalling and it's okay to practice drinking or you know eating or you know whatever your coping is when you're feeling grief and feel like you can't meet it it is inevitable that we shall meet it and we can put it off I put it off for a couple months I feel grateful that it was 
that's short to me because I think it's easy to go years. I'm very grateful for that short time period. It's all just a stall not meeting that moment. And these big moments just make it very obvious of where I'm stalling. And so the gift of grief and love, and since they're the same, because grief is just a reminder of how much you love someone, and then you get to go through all the beautiful braids of how and feel and texture and colors of how that person is interwoven in your life. And, you know, if you want to take it out of your body and just put it into that house, like, what is that house like? And you get to see every fucking piece and remember every word. I want to know that. I'm interested. I want to know all about that person. And grief gives me that opportunity to remember every bit, every ugly, lovely part. And grief kind of equates them with this appreciation. How much I had hatred for Peter, or anger. How that gets braided in with appreciation is the most amazing thing. How we look back on people and go, man, he, that, mo- that time, that moment, what an asshole. <laughs> and then you laugh because it's not personal in that moment. It's just like there's some kind of separation where there's just this cloud of appreciation around all of it. That's an incredible gift from grief. I want to be there for that. And that's the bandwidth. That's the sobriety. That's that lovely way that it allows for us to see all of that instead of just stopping at my friend's dead. I get to feel the years pass through my body and create stories and images around it and I'll be damned if you don't think sitting through grief and letting that be embodied, if that's not the greatest poetry you could ever know. Like, when the hell else am I going to feel that loving someone is like a house and grief is like taking it apart? That's natural poetry that just came to mind. And I get to, like, live in that image and let that be a a lighthouse or a guide for how I approach this huge thing of losing. That's the greatest, most natural creative process I've ever seen is the beautiful things that come from these experiences where we feel like the ground is taken from underneath us. It's like in that expanse, groundless, netless, floating There's this ancient wisdom that gives us a new sight. And for me, I think out of comfort, I I create some kind of poem about it. Not a a literal poem, but like a, a way of metaphorically experiencing it because that's how I find a net. But you know what? If that's my coping mechanism, then power to me because I can look back on that and be reminded of that time and the incredible, uh, gift I gave myself of opening up to the experience of grief and knowing that even unpleasant can lead to 
pleasant fruit. And just as pleasant fruit, like addiction over and over can lead to unpleasantness of like eating too much or losing friends or feeling fucked up all the time. You know, pleasant can lead to unpleasant. Unpleasant can lead to pleasant. Like life has this fluidity about it. And love and grief are an incredible object of focus within that that fluidity world. And they're such great teachers. And I think I can think about grief as this goalless dream to deconstruct the house and I can meet it every day or I could just not. I choose to be sober every day or have. I'm choosing today to stay sober, especially, you know, on a day of grief because I know there's such wisdom and I would say fruit, but I, I want for it to be a goalless practice but meeting that house, choosing to meet that house every day and watch it be taken away and choosing appreciation of each part of it falling apart, whether it's painful or, or lovely, I can meet that house every day. And sobriety is like a vehicle that I can commit to to make sure I meet that house. And then my creative side can come in and hold me. That's my process. I stay sober. I meet the moment. And then I have this sweet reward of the timestamp of an image or a song or my talking with you all right now is fruit of me meeting the moment and it feels good it's deeply fulfilling it's way better than going out and getting fucked up because that only has one end and this has infinite boundless teachings by just staying here I think grief has been my greatest teacher as someone who is addicted to pretty much anything she tries <laughs> it's the only thing that has slowed me down I'm very grateful for you all listening I don't know if this is an inappropriate episode or not <laughs> I don't know if this is just one big uh talk that I just had to give or if this would be more appropriate for a friend or I, if you're listening then you probably find a friend in me somehow and I certainly find one in you so I, I hope this serves and uh, I'm so grateful thank you so much for listening and I hope you have a very beautiful and uh, uh, joyful or sad day but that you meet it completely with an open allowing kind heart i love you thank you bye